so much, Barry. This past year, as you know, on Sunday mornings, we've been studying through the life of Christ. And be quite honest, I'm going to miss that study. Uh, we, of course, it was spent all in the gospel accounts. And so when Tucker and I were uh, planning ahead, prayerfully planning ahead for sermon topics and series, we decided that on Sunday nights for a few weeks, we wanted to spend some time in the Old Testament. Um, the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Paul is saying that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning. And so let's seek to, to be reminded and even learn some things uh, from, from the Old Testament. I want to talk tonight about the greatest believer in the Old Testament. The greatest believer in the Old Testament. And whom might that be? The greatest believer. How about Abraham? Abraham. He is noted for his faith in many, in many texts of the scriptures, uh, including the New Testament, and we'll be citing some of those. But let's consider the life of Abraham. And this is a challenge for me because uh, his life covers Genesis 11 through 25. And you know, uh, it would be impossible for me to cover all of that in, in, one, in one lesson. But three-fourths of the book of Genesis is devoted to Abraham, his son, grandson, and grandsons. But his life in particular, Genesis 11 through 25. In the rest of the Old Testament, he's mentioned by name more than 40 times. From Matthew to Revelation, he's mentioned more than 70 times. And again, mentioned quite often because of his faith. So let's think about the faith of Abraham as we take a quick overview of his life. And let's begin where the scriptures begin. It's not at his beginning. He's 75 years old. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. When you read other passages... Uh, in the context, we find that Abram's father worshipped other gods. And so that was probably part of Abram's uh, past. But here God calls him out of Ur, or I've heard it pronounced Ur of Chaldees. Um, and in this passage, when it says, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, he's being called to leave everything with which he's familiar his country, and he narrows that down to his family, his extended family, and then this close family, his patriarchal family. To a land that I will show you, a land that is not identified. And I still would love to hear that conversation that Abram would have with his wife about packing up your bags because we're leaving, and she asks, where are you going? And he says, I don't know yet. I can only imagine how that conversation would have gone. But I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Seventy-five years old when he is told these things. Verse 3 of Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's that scheme of redemption. There's that messianic promise. There is the promise that a descendant of Abraham, namely Jesus 
would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Not just descendants, physical descendants of Abraham, but all the families of the earth. So here it is, not the first reference to the coming of Jesus, but a profound reference here, a noteworthy reference that he'd be a descendant of Abraham or Abram. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. But again, being called from everything with which he's familiar leaving his family, leaving from archaeological discoveries that this place, Ur of the Chaldees, was a very uh, prosperous place. So it's home to him. It's where his family is. But yet, he drops everything to obey God's call for him. He's noted for that and highlighted for his faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where, where he was going. And so he enters Canaan. And I like this statement by Paul Rogers. The travels of Abraham may be traced by the smoke of his altars. Because everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar to God. Genesis 12, verse 8 is an example. He built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And this was a... Uh, Canaan was certainly like, much like Ur the Chaldees in that they were likely polytheistic. They had much idolatry. But here is Abram following the one true God of heaven. In Canaan, and I'm just going to hit some high points here of things that Abram experienced in Canaan that also reflected his faith. We watch him deal kindly with his nephew Lot when strife arose among their brethren. You remember that God blessed Abram and Lot tremendously, so much that their herdsmen began to fight with one another. And, and so Abram goes to Lot, and I love the King James wording, we be brethren. And so we are family, we're brothers, so let's not fight like this. You choose one way and I'll go the other. And Lot, you'll remember, chose the well-watered plain of Sodom and that led to problems for him and for his family. But the selfishness of Lot is also to be contrasted with the unselfishness of Abram who gave him that choice and it kind of reflects the kind of person that Abram was. But speaking of Sodom and the wickedness associated with it, we find Abraham interceding for the salvation of Sodom. And as you read that text, Genesis 18, the way I feel is, Abram, Abraham, be careful. You're asking God to reduce the number. If I find 50 righteous people or if I find 40 and he, he brings the number down and it makes me feel uncomfortable, Abraham asking this of God, but yet... Abraham is, is concerned for Lot and his family and any other righteous people that could be found. But not even ten righteous people could be found in Sodom. And so God destroys it. But Lot and his family are spared. 
purpose. See, we find Abraham, an expression of his faith, interceding on behalf of others before God. We also see Abraham's imperfections and cowardice. You remember there were two different times. One in Egypt and the other in Gerar. When Abram and his family are traveling and he recognizes that he has a beautiful wife and that likely it would be easy for him for someone in authority to just get rid of Abram or Abraham so that uh, the king or whoever's in power could take Sarah as his wife. And so he tells his wife, Sarah, to lie and to say that she is his sister. She is his sister. It's a half-truth. They were half-brother, half-sister, but yet the intent was to deceive, so it's deception. And both times, God intervenes and, and, uh, and calls Abraham accountable for, for his deception. And so that shows us that Abraham, though he is noted for his faith, he wasn't perfect by any means. And that should be encouraging to us. We can have faith, and yet we are imperfect people. But God honors our faith. I'm going to jump to something that happens later and then come back to, to their son, Isaac. But I want to make note of something that happens when Sarah, his beloved wife, passes. Genesis 23, verse 2. Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So he loses his beloved wife. And he wants to to bury her and to honor her in her burial. So he finds this this field uh, belonging to Ephraim and he wants to purchase it. Ephraim, seeing the blessing of God upon Abraham's life, wants to give him the land. but, But Abraham will not hear of that. And so he purchases this land. And he... There's a cave, the cave of Machpelah, that is found on this land. And that is where he buries his beloved wife, Sarah. That is also where Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah will be buried. (coughs) But notice this cave of Machpelah, this land that's purchased by Abraham, is the only plot of land that Abraham would ever own. In Canaan. He's told at 75 by God, go to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, which would include a land promise. But the only land that Abraham had for himself was where he buried his wife and where many of his family would be buried. Now we come to Isaac, the child of promise. In order for a great nation to come from, from Abram or Abraham, they would have to have at least one child. Remember, he's 75 years old when he receives this call. And so there's years that they wait, and, and, and Sarah even offers a, a, a way out through, through Hagar. But that he is told over and over again, no, it's through your seed, the child that would, will come to you and Sarah, that the promises will be fulfilled. 
And finally, after 25 years, in the age past childbearing, Isaac is born. I can only imagine, but can imagine somewhat, the joy, the jubilation of Isaac being born. Not only because uh, they're able to bear children finally, but because of the joy uh, and, and the being, this child being the child of promise. But you know where the story heads. Genesis chapter 22. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. I cannot imagine uh, being instructed by God to do this. But what, how does Abraham respond? On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And I've always noted this, and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Was he just saying that as a way of saying, We got it from here? Or was he looking ahead? And we see from what the Hebrew writer says that God instructing uh, Abraham to offer his only son, that he knew that all the promises that God had given him were dependent on Isaac. And so he, though he had no other basis to base this on except for the promise of God, that he believed that God must be going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's how much faith Abraham had. And so we will come back to you, perhaps is reflecting that very idea. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Let's keep reading. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Don't you believe that Abraham's heart had to break when his son asks that question? Josephus suggests that Isaac may have been 25 years old at this time. I don't know how old he was. It does appear, as you keep reading, that when they came to the place in which God told him, Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Especially if he's a teenager or age 25. Isaac, being a young man, Abraham being a very old, could have broken free, wouldn't you think? But yet it appears that Isaac is submissive. To what his father is telling him is going to happen. And if he was 25, there's no indication of resistance or refusal on Isaac's part. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything for him. Uh, 
to, anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In the Hebrew letter, Hebrews chapter 11, the language is such that reflects that Abraham had offered his son Isaac. And in his heart, he had already done the deed. But he stopped by the angel of the Lord. And he's commended for his faithful obedience. That even at the sacrifice of his own son, he would do whatever God instructed him to do. You'll remember then that Abraham lifted up his eyes. This is verse 13 of Genesis 22. And saw this ram caught in a thicket. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. There's that language. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. I think it's helpful for us to notice some commonalities, but yet a difference between the offering of Isaac and the offering of God's son on the cross. Notice some similarities. Both Isaac and Jesus were predicted before their birth. Both Isaac and Jesus bore the wood of execution up the hill. Both of them consented to their own sacrificial death. Both were bound. Both were laid upon the wood. Both were offered by their father. Both were raised up again. Isaac, in a sense, and Jesus from the dead. But here's the major difference. Isaac was spared. A ram was offered in his place. Jesus was not spared because he died in our place. You see, the ram that God had provided to be sacrificed in Isaac's stead foreshadowed what Christ would do for us on the cross. Do you believe Abraham to be a good candidate for the greatest believer in the Old Testament? By faith, he willingly separated himself from all that he knew and loved. By faith, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt almost a hundred years in the land of promise, never owning an inch of ground except for the burial plot of Machpelah. By faith, he sadly suffered the separation of his nephew Lot and the doom of Sodom. By faith, he waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac, only to accept God's command and being willing to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. No wonder Paul commends the faith of Abraham. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Again, there's so much. Romans chapter 4, for example, Paul speaks about the faith of Abraham. James also speaks about the faith of Abraham. It would, some suggest that Paul contradict and James contradict one another. But I believe they are talking about faith, the faith of Abraham, but from two different perspectives. But notice James' perspective here. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works 
and by works, faith was made perfect. You see, Paul emphasizes that we can't work our way into heaven. We can't be saved by works of merit. And some take that, then, then uh, there's no, we don't have a part in our salvation. But James is saying, he's also speaking about the faith of Abraham, but he's saying, look at the kind of faith that Abraham said, had. It was an active faith. It was an obedient faith. It was a working faith. Again, notice that phrase. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? Abraham was not saved by faith plus works. He was saved by a faith that works. A saving faith is a, is a, a faith that not only trusts God, but obeys God. It's an active faith. And we see that so graphically with Abraham. By works, James says, his faith was made perfect or made complete by what he did. His works authenticated his faith. And so James continues, And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. It's not by faith only. It's not by just mental assent or even trusting God. But it's trusting God enough to do what he says. And Abraham demonstrated that kind of faith over and over. From the very beginning of leaving his family, his home, going to a place which God would reveal to him later, but even to the point when God says, offer your only son as a sacrifice. Abraham's faith in God was so strong that he was obedient even to that task when God, the angel of the Lord, stopped him. So much we learn from Abraham about faith. A faith that trusts and obeys. And what a lesson for us to learn what faith is. To look at the father of the faithful, Abraham himself. That faith is believing that there is a God, yes. But then believing God and trusting God. But then entrusting your life to him by being obedient to his Will. We'll continue some more studies about uh, characters in the Old Testament and what we can learn from them. But what a powerful uh, lesson on faith from this man, Abraham. How is our faith? Is our faith active? Do we trust what God says? Are we willing and have we obeyed His instructions? And it may be tonight that you desire the prayers of your church family this evening or it may be that there's someone among us that is ready to obey the gospel to put your faith into action and accept the salvation that Jesus has made possible through your trusting obedience if you are subject to the invitation of Jesus please come right now as we stand and sing